So, how does it feel when you play Roll Up to Win with Tim Hortons? Buy a hot or cold beverage using the Tim's app and find out. Roll in the app for a chance to win prizes ranging from free coffee and donuts to a Universal Orlando resort vacation or a sweet car. Oh, don't forget the TV. And this year, every roll is a shot at a $1,000 daily giveaway drawing for two $500 prizes. Roll up to win and get treated by Tim's. No purchase necessary. Account registration required. 50 U.S. and D.C. 18 plus entered by 4223. See rules at rolluptowin.com for free entry of full details. Void in Florida and where prohibited. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk About It. This is Taylor, your host, and I'm so excited to get into today's episode. I hope that you are enjoying your week so far. I hope that you are making space for pleasure because pleasure is not earned. Pleasure is something you have already been worthy of all along. It is not a reward. So here's your weekly reminder that you are worthy of pleasure. And today I'm so excited we're going to be talking with Dr. Donna Oriowo. She is a international speaker and certified sex and relationship therapist in the Washington, D.C. metro area. She is the owner of Anod Wright, and Dr. Donna specializes in working with black women specifically on issues related to colorism and texturism and its impacts on both mental and sexual health. She's the author of a lovely book, Cocoa Butter and Hair Grease, A Self-Love Journey Through Hair and Skin. Highly recommend checking that out. Dr. Donna is an advocate for sexual freedom, self-love, acceptance, and accomplishment for women of color, especially black women. She collects inspiring quotes, eats donuts, loves pasta, stays home because we in COVID. She just is honestly amazing. She currently serves as the co-chair of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee with ASECT Communication Steering Committee Chair as well, and is a member of the Women of Color Sexual Health network. So she be doing things. She be out here. Okay. And we're going to get into so many things this episode. As usual, I hope you are listening with open ears and open heart and open mind. You are listening because you are someone who is open to being challenged here. Okay. Because this is something that you are going to sit in and learn from and learning is not always comfortable. Learning is not supposed to be comfortable. Okay. So let's talk about it. Right, so welcome, Dr. Donna Oriowo, to the show. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. Yes, I feel like this is very overdue for us. I think that we've been talking about this for a while, and then life happens. Yes, yeah. Life, life happens. I got a lot going on in my life. You sound like you got a lot going on in your life. Um, you are getting ready to get married very soon. Yeah. We are, what, today is Monday, Friday and Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you again for like leaving space in your, in your time and in your capacity and your mental energy to have this conversation today. Um, I'm wondering if we could start off a little bit with you just sharing a bit of like the work that it is that you do and how you got to this point. Okay. Well, um, I'm a sex and relationship therapist. I focus in on how colorism and texturism impact mental and sexual health. Um, I got into this work because people kept telling me their business. And mm-hmm. I was comfortable enough to talk to them about sex and sexuality. But I felt like there were missing pieces when I went to school. 
So then trying to figure out like, okay, how do you bridge the gap in those missing pieces that you're noticing and with the people that you know you want to serve? Um, So Mm -hmm. in doing that work, I feel like it's just been like a slow build of all these, all these other pieces, Mm -hmm. because when you start your own practice, you know, everybody and a mama is willing to give you some advice, but sometimes the advice is not for you. It's about their fears and the concerns that they had in creating a business and not about you. Mm -hmm. So I remember people telling me, oh, you're using too many black photos on your website. Oh, don't niche down so much. You want to be more of a generalist so everybody could see you instead of narrowing it all the way down. And Mm -hmm. I just had to realize that if you are a generalist, you don't see the people that you want to see. And if you don't have the pictures Mm -hmm. of the people that you serve, they don't know that they are being served. They may still come, but they don't know that you're, that they're your priority. So for me, it was, Mm -hmm. It ended up being more of a, like a no brainer had to go back and just change up Mm -hmm. what I had been told and really just think into what feels best for me and most authentic for me. And that has allowed a knob right to flourish in the way that it has. I started off as a solo, um, Mm -hmm. a solo practitioner. And now I have a team of three other people currently working. One is on leave. That's amazing. I think I I love what I love how you unpack the advice that people gave you in like working with everyone because I think that's something a pressure that a lot of like clinicians feel coming out of school that you have to work with everybody and while in some ways there's, you know, encouragement to have a specialty, it still is like you should see every person. There's like that uh, messaging, I feel like. And I've had to work through in supervision of like, it's my practice. I get to decide who and how and when I want to work because I'm not at a community mental health agency, you know, and the work that you end up doing actually becomes that much more impactful when you are working with people that you actually want to work with because you can show up in a much better sense. And frequently the actual therapeutic relationship is much, much, much more in alignment. Absolutely. And honestly, I think that when people say, oh, you want to make sure that you can work with everyone, everyone tends to be white. That's who they're talking about. They're not talking about make sure that you're actually serving black and brown communities. They're not talking about making sure that you serve Mm -hmm. LGBTQIA communities. They're not talking about that. They're just trying to find new and more inventive ways to say center whiteness and then serve everyone else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm not really into that. hundred (laughs) percent. Yeah. No, no. And so I'm, Well, I guess out of my own curiosity, you know, how do you frame that? Well, do you, I'm assuming you still would have white clients who, you know, submit inquiries who try to work with you. Um, You know, there's a little bit of that, like- Not as many as you would think. How you, yeah, yeah. Because I'm like, what you kind of present yourself as, what you say, this is your specialty. Like if you're like, my specialty is dealing with black women on texturism and colorism and how that plays a role in our sexuality. Like if a white woman sent in an inquiry, I'd be like, ma'am, did you read? But that wording, that wording, that wording though, that, that you end up having to use as a professional because 
at least from my own experience with white women, uh, there can be a lot of that defensiveness and that entitlement of, well, you're being racist and that's discrimination that you won't work with me because I'm white. Yeah, I don't need to have time for the foolishness. <laughs> I don't. Um, and what I have found is that because we are, I mean, for, <laughs> we are so blackity black black over here that they don't want to work with us. They're not, they're not asking, they're not checking for us. They're not questioning that no one is trying to get on my schedule. Um, so it's not even mm. a matter of, oh, I'm turning them away. It's that they're not even coming. Mm. Um, I think that it's always been the mm. opposite almost for black folk in the sense that mm. if you see something that is created and you only see white people in it, you also assume that you could probably find a way to use it. And thus you would inquire about it. You would follow up on it. You would do whatever it is that you've got to do on your end. I think that when something feels explicitly for black people, white people don't even bother mm -hmm. to question whether or not they're allowed in. They just are like, well, that's mm -hmm. for black people. And it's probably not what I want anyway. So I think that they're more in that space and mm -hmm. I'm not in that space. So it's like, ah, well, doesn't matter. You could come, mm -hmm. but you didn't. Um, and we do serve some yeah. white clients. Um, we have, at least we have this year, um, we have a group called mm -hmm. White Girl Interrupting, which comes back in January. And mm -hmm. it's it's not with me. It's with one of my other um, clinicians. But it's specifically about just helping white women to get to a space where they're actually interrupting their privilege. And it's not therapy. It's therapeutic. Mm -hmm. And it is a group setting. So it's a six-week group. And that group is, mm. I was like, that group is freaking fire. But um, for me and mine, I can't mm -hmm. do that. I was just like, you know what? That's not within yeah. my capacity. And I don't want to reserve yeah. my time for white folk in that way. And I think that I have a right to choose mm -hmm. how I'm going to reserve my time. Now, for individual therapy, if anyone was inquiring and I actually had space in my schedule, that'd be one thing. But we have a wait list, mm -hmm. despite the fact that we refer out. And mm -hmm. nobody is getting on my schedule yeah. because I'm full. Oh, yeah. <laughs> doing the things, doing the things. I love to hear it. All right. We're going to take a short break right here because pleasure reminder. So excited. Okay, y'all. I, I kind of freaked out the other night. <laughs> I don't know if y'all have watched Insecure, but there's a guy on Insecure. So fine. So, so fine. Like he gives it to Molly so freaking good. And like, he has this really like deep voice and it was just, he was, I thoroughly enjoyed his presence on my screen and his voice on my screen. And the other night while I'm struggling to actually masturbate living in my chosen family's home, I definitely have been like listening. Okay. And y'all have heard me share about Dipsy before. They're the best. Favorite, like, audio story, sexy time app. They're fantastic, okay? But I came across it, and he, that actor, was doing the voice, okay? And it was great. It was fantastic. Very much relaxed me. Sometimes I don't actually need to like get off. It's just relaxing and is like a little bit of an escape and I can unwind and, you know, feel more comfortable kind of like going to sleep. Um, 
And <laughs> I'm totally forgetting the name of it, but it was like uh, Malcolm. I think if you look up Malcolm and you can also like filter when you go to search for a story or, you know, what, what, what you're in the mood for. Um, and I find that I actually like more the ones that are like him and you versus him and her. Like if you want to hear two people together, you can pick her and her. Um, and so I have some non-binary options on there as well, but you can like really curate and select and make these stories specific to what it is that you're going to be turned on by or that you're going to feel, you know, you can use it to like increase your feeling of sensuality. You could listen with your partner. You could listen before you get home to get yourself in the mood to go meet with your partner. So many different ways that y'all can use Dipsy. They also have a whole wellness session as well and like soundscapes that you can use to like help relax before you drift off to go to sleep. They're just fantastic. So for listeners of this show, y'all really better listen up and you better take advantage, okay? Spread the word, share with your friends. Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash Taylor. That's 30 days full of full, full access y'all for free. When you go to D I P S E a stories.com slash Taylor. Again, that's dipsy stories.com slash Taylor. I mean, literally this dude was like freaking on an HBO, like insecure show. And I was like, Oh my God. now I got his like voice in my ears. Like what? (laughs) It was great. Highly recommend it. Again, hope that y'all check it out. Super love, love, love partnering with Dipsy on the podcast. So be sure to check them out, dipsystories.com slash Taylor. And now we can get back to the show. I'm, I'm wondering how you feel this transitions over into some of the work that you do outside of your practice. Um, you serve on the on a committee with ASECT. Yes. And, and I'm actually the communications what? chair. I'm no longer doing diversity, mm-hmm. equity, and inclusion in the same way. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, I just know, at least from my experience stepping into the field of sexuality on a professional level, mm-hmm. that it is just like you know, the field of psychology and mental health in general is very white. Um, but that especially, you know, in one of my classes, uh, we had Dr. James Wadley, um, who's on ASECT. He's, I think, the only black and the only black male supervisor that is like um, certified under ASECT. He Something was my like supervisor. that. I was just like, yeah. Yeah, where I'm like, oh, wow, he's the only one? (laughs) Like, what? What is ASEC doing over there? (laughs) Yeah. It's hard. (laughs) It's hard. It's costly. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of these organizations create barriers, and they create barriers on purpose, but I don't think that um, they're giving explicit thought to how they're creating barriers, particularly for people of color and for Black people in particular. I don't think that they're thinking about that. I think Mm -hmm. that they want the barriers. I think that they want to seem elite. I think that a lot of them want to be exclusionary. Um, That's why you also have inclusion Mm -hmm. criteria so that you can exclude others. And I think that in doing so, a lot of them have not checked their own biases and are both on purpose Mm -hmm. and inadvertently keeping people of color out of spaces. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. ASEC 
is trying to change. That's what I know. That's what I see. Yeah. That they are actually trying to change. Um, does that mean that I trust mm-hmm. it 100%? No, because I am not, I don't believe yeah. that I have the luxury of trusting white people 100%, no matter who they are, no matter how well-intentioned, mm-hmm. no matter what it is that they've said. Because when white folk decide that they are done with the work of diversity, equity, and inclusion, when they decide that they are done trying to fight racism, they just get to be done and they can go right back into the Mm -hmm. fold of white supremacy as though nothing ever happened. So as far as I'm concerned, I don't know any Mm -hmm. white allies. I do not grant allyship until one is deceased. You're going to have to prove it with your life. Mm-hmm. And that's what your life's work. That's mm-hmm. with your every breath, with your every step, mm-hmm. with everything that you do. And I, because I'm like, some somewhere down the line, you can just decide I don't want to do this no more. I'm just gonna go back to how things were before. And I would have what granted you allyship mm-hmm. based off what? No. I'm like, be a co-conspirator. You are not mm-hmm. an ally until you die. You can be a co-conspirator temporarily, yeah. but I would hope that you would do it for the remainder of your life. But I don't grant participation trophies. I don't give mm-hmm. accolades or pats on the back. I'm not going to say, oh, this person is doing so well. I'm like, so what? So what? Mm-hmm. I'm looking like, I can name mm-hmm. 40 Black people that are doing very well in this work who are trying their hardest to make it happen for other people. And I'm not about to give white folks no, no accolades or pats on the back. for. Part. I'm looking like, why? You don't need a participation mm-hmm. trophy. If you're in it for the reasons that you say you are and not to get patted on the back and told that you're a good human being, then you don't need me to say anything to you mm-hmm. anyway. You would just be participating in doing mm-hmm. the work. But too many people are actually just looking for a Black person's validation that they are not a bad person. And I'm not granting that. That's not a present I have for you. So if that's why you're doing the work, you can stop. Go back to your white supremacy. We don't need white saviors over here. We're good. Work on your people and yourself. Don't mm-hmm. we we good? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I hear it. Speak it. That's right. People don't be ready. That's all and right. I'm okay with that. I th- I, yeah, no, some people are not ready. And like do what you gotta do. Sit with it, process through it. Um you know, one point that I think we don't talk a lot about and like one that's something I'm super passionate about and that in my like studies and my learnings, I'm just like, this is coming up in every fucking thing. But how white supremacy plays a role in our sexuality, because I think it comes up in so many different ways. I'm thinking like the war on hair, purity culture, even things with patriarchy come from white supremacy, um, beauty standards that are set and how that impacts how people show up sexually. Um, you know, but I'm wondering kind of how you got into the space where you're not just unpacking and, and holding space for a black woman, uh, healing from colorism traumas or, or pains, right. But specifically how that shows up sexually with their sexual Mm. health if that was a place where you started or if it kind of turned into that and if so how because I think there's a bridge there that folks can't super easily connect like I think patriarchy Mm. is like something that people can like connect very like simply but white supremacy I think people are like what does that have to do with how I like to fuck (laughs) So usually 
every now and then I'll just have people just imagine, right? So like close your eyes and just imagine you are living the American dream, the house, the car, the kids, the dog, right? There's a look to all of these things. What does it look like? What does the couple look like? What color is their hair? What texture is their hair? What color is their skin? What kind of dog is it? Because most people would say it's a golden retriever. And why is it a golden retriever? Because yeah. you watch probably enough TGIF growing up, or you've seen enough pictures of this golden haired doll that it's like, yeah, it's a golden retriever. Yep. It's a uh, one man. And I, one I don't woman. trust that dog. I don't trust that dog. <laughs> <laughs> it's a man and it's a woman, right? It's a very, very heterosexual, right? It's blonde mm-hmm. hair, it's blue eyes, it's skin, it's thinny, thin bodies, right? It's um, generally well-to-do. It's a more um, out-in-the-world worker of a dude with a more nurturing lady of a woman, right? It's, it's oh, we've got two and a half kids. This is the trope that we are given. This is the script of what a happily ever after looks like. What does happily ever after sex then look like? It looks like thin bodies. It looks like, it looks like people with a certain hair type. We have been shown like, what is sexy hair, right? Sexy hair that, you know, Mm -hmm. it's mousse, it's to the side. It's, you know, sometimes it might be a little bit darker. Maybe it's not blonde now. It's swarthy, it's sexy, right? When is it an Afro? When is it a dark skinned Mm -hmm. person? When is it someone who's not thin? Someone who is fat. When is it someone who's fat? And you think that it doesn't? Like, people will say that, oh, yeah, it doesn't affect my sex. I'm like, it impacts the partners you pick, period. Let alone the sex that you're having. Whether or not you feel sexy in that moment. Like, oh, because, I mean, spectatoring happens, right? Where it's almost like you're out having this outer body experience, looking down Mm -hmm. on the scene. Do I need to teach my booty a little bit more? Like... Like, am I cute in this moment? Like, oh, is my hair mm-hmm. mussed up on the side in a very ugly way? And you start getting into the aesthetics yeah. of it. But the aesthetics didn't come from you. White supremacy already generated a picture. And you're just trying to print it out. So, so mm-hmm. many of us are just, we're just going by this idea of what it is that we're supposed to do. How it is that we're supposed to mm-hmm. please men in particular. Even when we're mm-hmm. not, straight we're still thinking about well how do I please this person because my job is to be submissive in this space mm-hmm. in order to give someone else a masculine partner pleasure like if I'm a feminine person it has to be how I am serving this masculine person's pleasure despite the fact that I may not be feeling any or feeling it or feeling them so our, mm-hmm. our sexuality is very much wrapped up in what it is that we look like and how we present and how we are talking to other people and who we are talking to and how we talk to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many things out there that talk about like that, you know, dark skinned people are not the ones that you, you, you aim to have a long-term relationship with. They're the people that you fuck. They're not the people that you try to stay with. Girl. Literally, in my history of dating white men and questioning my own choices, everyone, I I ask, oh, have you ever dated someone that looks like me before? Have you ever dated, like, a black girl before? 
And it's, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I said, no, 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 date, committedly, not fuck. And it's always, always, oh, well, like, you know, like, I've, like, hooked up for a while, you know, but, like, like a girlfriend, no, no. And then I become the novelty because of colorism and I'm lighter skinned and I, like, have white girl hair that then they accept that. But it still is in a way where I'm like fetishized and I'm like novelty and different in this way, which is actually not a good thing because then all it does is perpetuate colorism where then it's like, okay, I'm engaging in, in this relationship with a white man that actually is then perpetuating some levels of white supremacy and colorism. And it's a whole, it's my brain just goes down a whole spiral of just this is all very terrible. Um, I don't know if you want, I'm very hesitant to even talk about the show, but are you familiar at all with Bachelor in Paradise and what has, what happened recently on the show? Nope. I, I don't watch the show. I've heard that there is a show. My sister watches the show. I just, okay. I just like, you know what? Nope. Not my thing. Yeah. No, yeah, you, you're really not missing out on anything here. Um, but just as an example to the point of what you were just saying, we watched a white man who has been dating a mixed girl like me. Um, before going on the show, he he's he arrives on the beach before she does. And basically to help it so that he stays until she arrives, he finds somebody that he can get a rose from, but that he doesn't necessarily have to get emotionally attached to. And he picks a darker skinned black woman and basically discards of her immediately when his actual girlfriend, who was lighter skinned, gets onto the beach. And it's a whole, like, it's just so obvious. It's like, well, you already perceived Natasha, who is darker skinned, as not your type, as disposable, as easy to engage with without having to actually be vulnerable and risk your own feelings uh, is, is, is a shit show. It sounds like a shit show, yeah. but it also sounds like yeah, a so whole you ain't lot missing of out. shows <laughs> which are predicated on the same thing mm-hmm. that black women are, dark, especially mm-hmm. dark skin, fat, kinky haired black yeah. women that they're un, they're undesirable and thus disposable. And that if you do show them interest, mm-hmm. they should take whatever it is that they can get. Because otherwise, yeah. I mean, no one want to do anyway type thing. Like I've had a client he, say that to me girl. in session. I'm dark. I'm fat. I'm, I'm kinky haired. Who the fuck going to want me? I remember these words. They're etched into the side of my brain. I will never forget them because I was yeah. just like, I'll, I'll, like, look, it took everything in me not to do her like I do my friends and to remember that I was a therapist yeah. for a moment. Because I was about to say, who the yep. hell are you talking to? Who the fuck are you talking about? Fight yep. me right now. I'm ready. Mm-hmm. Because I'm looking like, who you not going to yeah. talk about is you like this. You must be out your mind. Yes. Number one, yep. she's not even fat. She's not. I'm looking like, in, yeah. in what body diversity looks like to me and the way that it can truly expand and be so expansive i'm just like baby girl Mm -hmm. let me tell you right now if they put you on a campaign and told me that you were the plus size model i would be pissed because you're not even plus size yeah yeah 
Well, the whole the whole who's going to want me is so fucked up to hear. And it's also like that literally exclusively comes from patriarchy and white supremacy. And even on the show, it was as if he was doing her charity because he straight up told her to her face, well, you know, like you didn't have any other prospects. Like, it's not like I was like holding you back from anyone, like making it seem like he was doing her a favor where it's like, all you think so highly of yourself. Okay. And the thing is, but that's always that always tends to be like the unspoken piece, right? Like when a black person mm-hmm. achieves anything in any space, in any arena, yeah. it's not that they earn their right to be there. It's we did you a favor mm-hmm. and thus you should be grateful, yeah. right? And some of us, some black folks, some dark skinned black folks, we buy into this, right? We buy into it because our parents mm-hmm. have taught us to buy into it. Society requires that we buy into it in order to maintain a certain level of safety. So yeah. we we end up perpetuating this idea of the magical Negro, the singular one that was able to get into the space and thus must be mm-hmm. very special in order for them to have made it as opposed to being somebody picked by white supremacy to make it to say that they aren't being racist, right? So people get to tell you, oh, mm-hmm. but I would vote for Barack for a third term. I'm like, never minding the fact hey, that we've hey, only hey, ever yeah. had one Black, and I would go to say mixed race that we know of, yep. president, ever. Or they'll mm-hmm. talk, they'll point out Oprah being a billionaire, or or they'll, they'll point out these individual sort of magical Negroes who have made it into these spaces and try to use them as the, the trope of, well, if they can make it, anyone can make it. Everyone else is just lazy. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. how cute, how quaint, how wrong. How, how, how beneficial that mm-hmm. is for them to say. How comforting it must be to just say that, oh, well, it's just because people are lazy. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm like, yeah, people are okay. lazy. I'm like, the hardest working people in this country are probably the people who are poor. More than likely, it is the people who are poor that are the hardest working. They just have the fewest prospects of being able to get out of their situation because being poor is fucking expensive. It is expensive as hell. Mm-hmm. I live basically in a food desert. I live in the hood. I'm yeah. just like, you've got to drive out of my community to have a grocery store with fresh mm-hmm. produce. Meanwhile, yeah. I can walk to three different liquor stores and a few different mm-hmm. corner stores. And there's at least seven Chinese spots, carry out spots that deliver yeah. here. Mm-hmm. Yep. It is expensive to be poor and it is, mm-hmm. it is backbreaking work to be poor, but people mm-hmm. don't want to, there, there's a lack of wanting to see people as as full people. We, there's a wanting to shame people for being poor. There's a shame. There's a piece that wants to shame people for being black. And when you're black and poor, mm-hmm. like we mm-hmm. we make classism the the fault of the the poor. We make racism the fault of black folk. We 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 make sexism the fault of women. We say that all of you are at fault for something. And God ordained everybody else to be above you. And as a result, you are where you are and there's nothing that we can do about it. It is Mm -hmm. what it is, right? That sort of rhetoric. Yeah. Yeah. And then how do we expect that folks in in those positions 
existing in that life in these systems are just going to be having like the best sex of their lives. They're going to be so empowered and how to communicate their needs. They're going to really know their bodies and like, you know, know how to engage in that way and, and be educated and informed to be able to like have a healthy, flourishing sex life. Like totally. Yeah. That those two things go together. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, your if your life is not free of white supremacist, heterosexual patri- patriarchy, how is your sex life any different? Your sex life is not mm-hmm. free of the systems that surround you on a constant and daily basis. It, it would be one thing if it was just outside your house, but it's inside your house. If you read books, it's inside the books you read. If you watch Netflix, mm-hmm. it's on Netflix. If you watch Hulu, it's on Hulu. There is no mm-hmm. way to escape it unless you completely cut yourself off from all forms of the outside world when you are inside mm-hmm. your house. And even then, you have mm-hmm. to live alone. And even then, you have to separate yourself from yourself. Because you've already gotten it. Mm-hmm. You've gotten lessons since you were yay high to a fly. I mean, you've been getting it literally all of your life. Probably before you yeah. got into the world. You were already getting it. Intergenerational stress and trauma. Epigenetics. You already oh, yeah. got it. So you've been had it. And I'm just trying to figure out, so then, how do you leave it outside of your house? How do you make sure that it doesn't enter your bedroom? Mm-hmm. You can't really. That's the, that's the secret. You can't really. Because your sexual freedom oftentimes is very much tied up in white supremacist patriarchal bullshit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do you go through that process then of unpacking, relearning, um, engaging in, in different ways? What does that look like in the work that you do with people? I believe that in order to solve any problem, you actually have to know what the problem is. And for me, that is having yeah. a full view of the problem, right? So all the various ways in which the problem presents itself. I think that some folks are very hard on themselves, especially Black folks, very mm-hmm. hard on themselves blame themselves for their circumstances at every point. And I'm just like, oh, I didn't know you gave this to yourself. Where did you learn it? Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Now they're mad at parents. I'm just like, good, good, good. Hey, where did they get it? Oh, now you're mad at grandparents. I'm like, huh, where did they get it? And I can go back and back and back and back and back. And I can just be asking where they get it, where they get it, where they get it, where they get it. Not from you. They didn't, you didn't get it from you. Mm-hmm. You didn't just get it from them. White supremacy gave you this gift. It's a gift that keeps on giving. Mm-hmm. All the gifts we it didn't ask for. It's an everlasting gobstopper of foolishness. Exactly. So it's just mm-hmm. like to unpack it, I often am helping them to peel back the layers that at the very center of this problem is white supremacist patriarchy and not them that you are not the problem, that, you know, your anxiety isn't born from nothing. Your depression is not born from nothing. Mm -hmm. The low self-esteem is not born from nothing. None of these things just manifested on their own. Our healing happens in community the same way that our hurts happen in community. You have to be in community to first Mm -hmm. be hurt. So I'm just like, well, it happened out here in these streets. Now, what do you want to do? Now, how do you, now that you see the scope of the problem, how would you like to proceed? Now that you see all the ways that you mm-hmm. have been adhering to white supremacy, now that you see all the ways that 
it has been requiring your adherence and the way that it has been feeding your anxiety because I know that too many, a lot of people really pride themselves on being able to code switch and all that, except we don't talk about how it also can cause anxiety. We don't talk about how it can cause depression, mm-hmm. how it can make you feel like you don't even know who you are and like you're being fake. And thus there's like discordant yeah. pieces of you. We don't talk about being out of sync yeah. and out of alignment as a result of our code switching. Mm-hmm. We just think that it's cute that we know how to do it. I'm looking like, yes, it's a life skill that you know how to do. But oftentimes yeah. we are unconsciously shifting from the way that we change, mm-hmm. the way that we're considering what clothes we wear, how we will do our hair, the way that we stress yeah. over how to walk into a space. Because everyone does not actually walk with their head mm-hmm. held high, right? Like we code switch our very mm-hmm. mannerisms that, I mean, there was yeah. a time like back when we were outside and stuff like that. I remember catching myself mm-hmm. moving out of the way when white people were approaching me if we were on the sidewalk. And I was just mm-hmm. like, oh, and here's one thing that I know. I'm not special. I'm special, but I'm not that special, yeah. which means that if I'm doing it, other people are doing it. And I started asking around. And then I started doing some research. Yeah, a lot of us actually step out of the way. We step off sidewalks. Uh, we'll cross the street. Mm-hmm. We'll figure out anything in order to avoid being a problem for those we pre- who have been told they are powerful and that mm-hmm. that's, we should give deference to them, we step off sidewalks. We make our lives more inconvenient to make them feel better about themselves so that we can maintain a certain level of safety. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like... And if that's what you're doing on the street, then what are you doing exactly, in the bedroom? Exactly. Like, I, I went mm-hmm. to um, Universal Studios with uh, my partner. It was my very first time as a grown adult. I always wanted to go as a child. Could not afford the mm-hmm. tickets. But um, yeah. I remember someone's phone call walking into my chest because I decided mm-hmm. that I was not going to move. I'm like, I, I'm like, my traffic is going in this direction. I am, and that traffic is coming in this direction. So I just kept walking straight, and this woman walked directly into my chest, and I'm just like, she's like, you stupid bitch, and I'm just like. Because you saw me coming and you refused to move and I refused to move. I'm the bitch. Got it. Got it. Mm -hmm. And I I remember that no no fewer than five people walked into me that day because I refused to move. And if they stopped in the middle of the sidewalk, I refused to stop. I'm like, it's just bad manners. Move your ass to the side. But I was just like, I'm not stopping. I'm going to walk through conversations. I'm going to bump into people say, whoops, excuse me. He just stopped in the middle there. Mm-hmm. Because they've been taught that they don't have to be considerate of anybody but themselves. But we will be considerate of them. And I'm just like, nope, done. I'm done. It's mm-hmm. over. And I just, one of my friends, um, one of the folks that created Afrosexology, Delisha, I remember them mm-hmm, saying yeah. to me that they had divested from white supremacy or they did, they had been divesting from whiteness. And that hit me. It was, I was at Sex Bound South that year and it hit me and I was just like, ooh, mm-hmm. ooh, you know, said something there. And I just, I had to think about all the ways that I am invested in white supremacy and how mm-hmm. I was going to divest from it. And in so doing, it means that my sex life looks different. It means that my interactions with folk look different. It means that the conversations I'm having with my partner mm-hmm. look different. How I spend my money looks yeah. different. 
So it's it's like it's mm-hmm. a you don't realize how far in you are until you realize how far in you are. And our yeah. very pleasure has often be, been predicated off. Well, what would white people say? What would white people do? Mm-hmm. Is this appropriate for someone like me? Because white women yeah. get to be ladies, but black women get to be bitches. So it's like, well, mm-hmm. I don't want to be a bitch. So what does that mean for me? I want I want someone to see me as a person worthy of being married or being partnered. So what does that mean for me? And we're not thinking about all the ways that still sort of falls into white supremacist patriarchy and this notion that we are worth less. And that's mm-hmm. trying to be picked picked by white people, picked mm-hmm. by men. I'm like, all of us are just freaking pick me's at the end of the day, too many of us in the name of white mm-hmm. supremacy. And it's kind of sad, yeah. actually. So the unpacking starts with recognizing the full scope of the problem and then figuring out mm-hmm. what you want to do. For some people, recognizing the scope of the problem is the only thing that you want to do. And I respect that. For other people, mm. they want to start working on how they're going to divest, divesting in Small ways, right? Like one small way that I've taught several clients how to digest now was um, go pee when you have to pee. Mm-hmm. No one thinks about that being mm-hmm. rooted in white supremacist capitalism, but I'm looking like the fact that you are sitting there dancing in your chair, holding in your urine. Yeah. Yeah. When you greatly want to release, not yourself, honoring your not body, honoring your body, be present mm-hmm. with your body. Like, that's one way to be present, mm-hmm. to honor your body and to take pleasure in relieving yourself. So finding relief in the mm-hmm. mundane, finding pleasure in the mundane. And then I'm like, you'll start to seek it out in other ways. Like, damn, that cookie tastes good. Mm-hmm. Like, mm, pleasure. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I love to kiss like this. Mm, pleasure. No, don't fuck me like this. Fuck me like this. Pleasure. Mm-hmm. When we find our pleasure and we voice it, we disrupt white supremacist patriarchal capitalism the tri-fuckery yep Yep. that's my doctoral project (laughs) is the (laughs) tri-fuckery i'd like to see that literally the the (laughs) tri-fuckery it literally is and i'm like i don't even know if i'm like it's like not appropriate just like talk about it like as i'm writing it because i constantly am thinking like is somebody else gonna like take this but i'm like that's okay. It's actually everything I'm talking about is not original. Like it's a combination of generations of folks doing this kind of work and unpacking and identifying the trifuckery of white supremacy, capitalism, and patriarchy and how they all show up in our sex lives. And I think that's a great example of, you know, not honoring our bodies, um, which typically comes from that pressure of productivity grind, of capitalism, of, you know, pleasure as a reward, um, which also stems from white supremacy. Um, I'm wondering if there are any other specific consequences of white supremacy in your work that you see show up most commonly. Um, so like, yes, patriarchy and capitalism are like consequences, separate systems yeah. of white supremacy. Well, not separate, but like interconnected yeah. systems. Um, the children of white supremacy, if you will. Um, and their little fucked up family. Uh, <laughs> but, but I'm wondering if there's any other specific examples of uh, consequences of white supremacy that you most commonly see clients come in struggling with? I think the main ones are that 
in their pursuit to comply with the powers that be mm-hmm. that they strip mm-hmm. themselves of who they actually are. They, they, you know, small ways of self-denial. Like I, mm-hmm. I just, I need to lose 20 pounds. And I'm just like, do you? Yeah. Like, you gonna look like a lollipop. Yeah. That's what you're, that's what we're going for. Okay, cool. Um, or, uh, mm-hmm. oh, I've, the only way I can leave the house is if my hair is done a certain way. If I, ha- if yeah. I'm wearing certain clothes, um, the only way I'm really worth anything mm-hmm. is if I buy this thing and I'm just like, tell me about the need for this mm-hmm. thing. Um, cause it seems yeah. like it's stressing you out. So let's talk about that thing. Um, well, I don't have a partner right now, so I can't go to this thing. I can't go eat out. I can't mm-hmm. go to the movies. I can't go on a trip because I don't have a boo. I can't, all the, mm-hmm. all the things that they want that they can't do because they are not partnered because yeah. no one's picked them. The, the, um, the jobs yeah. that they stay in that they actually hate that are actually causing them illness mm-hmm. and having them to sort of work on unpacking that and all the ways that they're sort of supporting these bosses who use their work to make more money while they stay in the same position that they're in. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just one little thing mm-hmm. after the other. So really just, Lots of self-denial is what I see right down into denying themselves as beautiful people, as worthy people, as people that are even worthy Mm -hmm. of having self-esteem. They have not been taught to value self-esteem. And so they do not, they don't know how Um, Mm -hmm. they've never been taught. And they just like, well, I don't see the value in it. Like if, like I can do the things I want in my life when I have this much money a partner, this thing, my happiness is on the other side. And it's just like, wow, your mm-hmm. happiness is really freaking far. It's really freaking far. Yeah. I'm like, meanwhile, I always thought it was right there in your pocket, but you just proved me wrong. The mm-hmm. grass is greener on the other side instead of where you water it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's just a lot of, yeah. uh, really, it's a lot, a lot of self-denial. And I think that mm-hmm. people think of self-esteem as being something small, like, oh, just like yourself and that's, that's enough. And like, like Mm -hmm. yourself when the world tells you that it hates you and then proceeds to prove Mm -hmm. it like yourself, it's your responsibility to like yourself. It is your responsibility, your pleasure, your happiness, your self-esteem, all of these things are your responsibility, but they cannot be cultivated Mm -hmm. in isolation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yet we've been taught to that pull yourself up by your bootstraps. We are an island Mm -hmm. state. And I just, I think one thing that I would want for us is to let go of this idea of being independent. I'm like, no one is independent. Independence is, is life's yeah. great lie. Because one thing that I know mm-hmm. I can't do, I don't know about you, maybe you're this independent. You can look at your hand and manifest fruit. That you can look at your hand and manifest seeds to grow with and the dirt and create the ground and make the air and make your own sunshine so that you can do, I'm looking like you are already interdependent on the world around you to provide for you, to nourish you. And the world is, is, it needs you to also care for it and not to destroy it, right? Same thing with our relationships with other Mm -hmm. people. We give and we take. Mm -hmm. And if we think that we're always Mm -hmm. the one giving or we're the only one ever giving, I I would challenge people to challenge their black and white thinking. Like, that's very cute. Probably very inaccurate. Like, you've had seven partners in your life that cheated on you. How did you contribute? 
nobody ever likes that question. Mm-hmm. I know that, yeah. I mean, you're doing therapy too. No one ever likes that question. I'm just like, okay. Yep. And what role did you play? And I'm just like, excuse me. I'm just like, I said what I said. You can excuse yourself all you like, but mm-hmm. I won't. What role did you play? Mm-hmm. How did you play the role? Because the, the fact is that all of us are in a relationship with white supremacist patriarchy. We support it. It feeds off of us and we feed off of it. And so we are in this really fucked up, parasitic, mostly symbiotic relationship. And mm-hmm. we are not the main beneficiaries of it, but we are just, we're just sort of stuck mm-hmm. in it. So for me, it's like, how did you pick your partner today? That is, how did you pick your clothes? How did you know what you were going to do with your hair? Um, how do you know whether or not you're presentable? Like my dad always says that, you know, women shouldn't leave the house without earrings, you know? But where did he get this from? His, like he said this, mm-hmm. like, like we are grown women with breasts and, and all that. And it's just like, look, no one is going to mistake me for anything other than I say that I am when I'm in the street. <laughs> I'm like... I dress mm-hmm. feminine. Well, not most of the time, but I dress generally feminine-ishly. So I'm looking like people address me as such. And mm-hmm. just like, well, no one will know that you're a girl if you don't wear earrings. But he didn't get that from himself. Someone gave it to him that real girls wear earrings. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, so then boys that wear earrings are what? No one ever mm-hmm. knows the answer to those type of questions. Because he wouldn't say that men shouldn't wear earrings. He's just like, oh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So it's just, yeah, I think that it's the way that we betray ourselves every single day. And for Mm -hmm. me, that is enough. I know that people tend to look for the other ways that white supremacy is in bed with you. And I'm just like, we're having sex that we don't want to have with partners that we do not like. That is not enough. There's a, there's a whole culture around particularly feminine people lying about their pleasure in order to assuage someone else's feeling. Is that not enough? There's an orgasm mm-hmm. gap. Yeah. Is that not enough? How about in this time, we've heard so many people with breasts complain about bras and be so happy with, with being home and not having to wear bras and resenting yeah. having to go back into work because they feel like they have to wear bras is that not enough mm-hmm. clothes marketed to women with no real pockets is that not enough we need some fucking pockets yes. like because what we don't need pockets i love pockets i love me some pockets and i'm just i think about it in all these different ways i'm just like is that not enough what about what else is it that we are looking for? What else is it that we're needing? So when I say that white supremacist patriarchal capitalism is in bed with you, when I say that it is on dates with you, when I say that it went to work with you, that it slept next to you, that it woke up with you, that it brushed your teeth with you, that it did everything that you did all day and with you, beside you and guiding you and holding your hand and making your steps smaller and lowering your head and saying yes when you wanted to say no, all of these little things, all these little betrayals, all damn day, people still want me to say something more profound about, well, it's robbing you of orgasms, but you already knew that. It's, it's robbing mm-hmm. you of the sexual pleasure that you could have with yourself, by yourself, 
but you already know that. It mm-hmm. it makes your sex center the penis, but you already know that. It talks about yeah. foreplay when all play is good play, but you already know that. Mm-hmm. But people are looking for something, I think, more profound. And I'm just like, I have no idea what more profound there is for me to say. I'm just like, it. it is present, period. It is present all day. It is present every day in every betrayal mm-hmm. that you give to yourself. And the way that we talk about other people, the way that we engage with other people, it is there. It is present all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't exist in a space where it doesn't exist. Exactly. And so I'm just like, your every decision has already been made for you by white supremacy. And when you realize that it has been made for you, you now have the responsibility of taking control of it or not. You still get to choose. You get to choose whether or not you're going to go with the status quo or do something different. And for some people, we go with the status Mm -hmm. quo. And I think that that's a fine Mm -hmm. decision because sometimes it's too tiring to do anything else. But I say this particularly for Mm -hmm. people of color. It is too tiring to do anything else. If you are a person of privilege, it is your job. It is your duty to do something about it. And anything else that Mm -hmm. you're not doing, I'm just like, that's because you are invested in being powerful and saying, fuck everyone else. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So I'm curious. I, I wish you could have been at the dinner table last night. Um, last night we were talking about, uh, well, several different things by, and I'm going to try to like make this concise as best I can, because it is very layered and very nuanced, but talking about the responsibility that folks have to not perpetuate the trifuckery. And where I feel differently when it is white people perpetuating it versus when it is people of color. And for example, if a part of the trifuckery showing up in our sex lives is um, for people who are female, who identify as women, um, feeling the need to be fully shaved to have no hair when they have sex, that they are not ready to have sex until they are fully bare and shaved. Armpits, legs, vulva, brows waxed, <laughs> lip lip waxed, got, got the whole nine yards, okay? Maybe you get your arms waxed or your ass waxed, whatever. Hairless, right? And say that you have unpacked and you understand that that, habit that that act in your life was essentially conditioned in you through racism and white supremacy of being anti-hair of having a history of you know hair removal being racist in our society say that you get that you've unpacked it you have that perspective and you like how it feels So you continue to do it because even with that perspective, it feels most authentic for you. You enjoy it. Is that true? Can that be true? And are they still responsible for how they perpetuate those things? On one hand, if they are an individual, on another hand, if they are a public person, Mm. Is there a responsibility to that change? 
This and mind you, this was like a three-hour conversation at the dinner table. Many layers. This is a great layer. I wish I was at the dinner table. Because I feel like I'm like this is the dinner table. I wish I could have grown up having more of. Because I'm just like both and. It is both your responsibility and not your responsibility. I believe that power has the has the need to dismantle its goddamn self. I think that Mm -hmm. the things that patriarchy constructs, men have to deconstruct. The thing that white supremacy constructs, white people have to deconstruct. We just live in over here. Y'all have the responsibility to fix it first, to go out there and do something about it. I can only do what I can do for me, right? So there is some responsibility there. And that is even something that I've been struggling with, like where it comes to like the sweating that I'm doing, right? I'm just like, okay, do I want to shave my, do I want to wax my legs? Like, do I want to, yeah. or do I want to wax in general? And what am I going to wax? This has been a constant conversation yes. for me, right? And the thing is, I have unpacked it. I recognize that it's, it does not belong to me, but I also do not feel mm-hmm. unsexy without. I, I, I don't, yes. I haven't waxed my yes. legs since 2000. Mm-hmm. What year is this? This is 21, yeah. I haven't 18, shaved my legs for like three like, years. Maybe like 18, 17, 18 or 19, somewhere mm-hmm. in there. That was the last time that I, yeah. I waxed my legs. The last time mm-hmm. I shaved my legs. I have, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Mine was three years ago. Know. I just don't know. Um, These are not things that are a constant in my, in my space, because I am also of the belief that you will not have fully unpacked it until you learn to also feel comfortable with the thing that you think that you're uncomfortable with. Your natural state of being is not disgusting. And we've been taught that hair is disgusting. We've been taught mm-hmm. that it's ancillary mm-hmm. to being feminine or to being womanly. And they're like, yes. meanwhile, this hair don't even come in until you are grown. So must be. Must until you can like. Work. You must be manly. You must be womanly. You must be That's personally. why it's all lies. It don't make. You must be grown. It don't make no sense. If it came in, that's when it came in. I'm just like, why? We need to like, for me, I'm just like, oh, pause. Why do we think that the prepubescent body is the most sexy body? Because to me, that's, that's some scary shit to say. Because that's that's sort of what we're saying without saying it. I'm just like, we just said that the, the, the prepubescent yeah. body is the sexy body. And I'm just like, it's time to, it's time to like really unpack that. We really yeah. need to talk about that yeah. because, ooh, I only want grown yes. people. I don't want no children. Well, so this is where we got to, because... Uh, So yes, you can unpack it, right? And you acknowledge it. And it's not that you feel uncomfortable with the hair there, right? But let's say a 13-year-old girl sees at your wedding that your legs are are waxed. Mm. So then where does that responsibility, and again, we talked about this like on an individual level versus like a public person being public with things like mm-hmm. this, where like, where is that responsibility? And for me, I was kind of like, honestly, for folks who are of marginalized identities, like who literally are oppressed by these systems, I don't frankly really care. Like on one hand, Yeah. I hope you know that you don't need to. I hope if you are doing something that is perpetuating the trifuckery that like 
you you understand that you don't need to, mm-hmm. right? And that you're doing it because it actually does feel good and feel healthy for you and you can do it in an intentional way. Mm-hmm. But where it gets sticky is like not everybody understands or can see that. They just see the action or the imagery or the words itself. They don't, it's not always explained, right? And so then it's like, so then are these things only okay if you're perpetuating it when you're able to essentially justify yourself? And then I'm also like, well, I don't really think that fucking people of color or women or people who are like are fat or disabled people have any kind of fucking obligation to explain themselves if they want to like uphold any of the systems. And so it's like, it, it gets so sticky because it's like, Yes, on one hand, this this comes from a very like almost individualistic kind of mindset, yeah. right? Of like, well, you're doing it because it feels good for you and it's about what you want to do with your body and your life, but then also intention versus impact, right? So then are we processing and unpacking the impact that that has for folks who maybe haven't unpacked that or don't have the perspective yeah. yet? And if you are a public person, then what is your responsibility who do you belong to? What community are you mm-hmm. responding to? Did they belong to you in terms of how you show up? So it's, it's super convoluted it's because and it's difficult, right? So I'm like, well, when I do X, who sees this? Who thinks of this? What does it mean for them to see me do this thing, right? So like I've been sharing some of my mm-hmm. wedding journey thing on my Instagram. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, and what about people who don't choose to get married? I tell you, don't choose to get married all damn day. I'm looking like, as a matter of fact, my yeah. new line on getting, on having a wedding is going to be, don't do it. It sucks mm-hmm. on this side, despite what people sell you. Mm-hmm. It is bullshit. It is bullshit. It is bullshit. <laughs> but it's, I'm just like, well, I, I'm like, well, if I say X, then what does this mean in the public in a public space. I usually think of my sisters as the ones that I'm really, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm parentified child firstborn. I'm just meant to set an example for my younger siblings. And I'm just like, huh, if I do this thing, what will they think? What do like, what does it mean for them? And at what point is my individuality now about them as opposed to being about me? How do I walk this line? So for me, I err on the side of what brings me pleasure. What makes me feel good? Mm -hmm. What makes me happy? And also pushing myself to unpack things that may not be mine. To ask myself, why why does this thing bring you pleasure? Why is this thing the center? Mm -hmm. Because uh, it's very easy to say, oh, it's just my preference. Half of our preferences are not ours. They actually belong yeah. to white supremacist patriarchy. So I'm looking like, you don't prefer yeah. to uh, be with light-skinned yeah. people. That is something that they already gave you. Yeah. So it's like, it's not really your yeah. preference. You've been conditioned. You've been conditioned. <laughs> exactly. So I'm just like, yeah. when I think about that, like, even with my partner, I'm like, he is, he's a guy. He is taller. Mm-hmm. He is thin he's uh, a thin sort of thin I don't know it's weird because there's some other factors that I'm not going to discuss but you know mm-hmm. he's got a certain body type look thing going and he is a lighter skinned person mm-hmm. and it, it's like well did you pick him because he was light 
Did you pick him because he was tall? Did you pick him? Like, did you fetishize him Mm -hmm. or did you pick him? And Mm -hmm. if you share photos of him, are you perpetuating color? Exactly. And and I'm just like, I'm more of a, am I putting him in public in public spaces where he would prefer not to be in public spaces. So mm-hmm. I do not share his face. Any pictures that I do share, mm-hmm. I'm like, this is the picture that I'm going to post on social. Is that okay? Yes yeah. or no? Yes, no, whatever. I go mm-hmm. with that. I'm like, I'm not pressed. Yeah. I'm like, there are some pictures of my bridal shower I did not share. I did not have everyone's permission mm-hmm. to put those pictures on the internet. And so I yeah. did not. Um, so I'm, I'm just like, mm-hmm. because I'm like, my friends have a different, I'm like, they post my picture to 100 people. I post my picture to 15,000 people. That is a little bit different. Yeah. And they don't, they might not want yeah. that scope of people looking at their face. Totally. And I think that they get to make totally. that decision for themselves. So I'm just like, huh, when I am doing something, I think that it, more than anything, it's always about the why. And where it comes to children, explaining mm-hmm. the why in a way that they will understand. So I'm like, you prefer straight hair. Why do you prefer straight hair? If you tell me that it's easier to manage, I'm telling you it's a lie. It's not actually easier to manage. You've simply not been mm-hmm. taught how to manage your own hair. That's a difference. Yeah. So I'm just like, yep. so when we, so for me, for this wedding, it was very important that I wear my natural hair or a natural hairstyle. I was not going to straighten it because every dark skin black bride photo tends to adhere as much as possible to white supremacist standards as far as being yeah. spelt and having um, yeah. and having their hair done in a certain way and blah, 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 blah. And I was just like, not going to go that route. Definitely going to do the twist that mm-hmm. I normally do in my hair because I love my hair like that. I tried to go blue, couldn't mm-hmm. find the right hair. <sighs> thing but um it's it's just like Mm -hmm. okay I don't want to perpetuate x y and z so what can I do instead I don't want to perpetuate the belief that there are not high-end shoes by black designers unavailable so I'm wearing a a designer shoe by a black woman now I wanted the dress that I wanted do I share this dress or not knowing Mm -hmm. it came from a white designer in a white shop I went did I go to the black Mm -hmm. shops absolutely did they sell the clothes that I want absolutely not but that is a thing for a different day. Apparently they mm-hmm. don't, they're not even, they don't even get yeah. the same inventory. Right. So it's, oh, so yeah. I think that there, there's See, a and, space and, of what makes the most sense for you versus what is it that you're, how and why are you challenging mm-hmm. yourself? So when I find yeah. myself saying that, oh, it's just so much easier to manage my hair with braids. I stopped wearing braids. I stopped wearing braids for a year because I was like, that is you trying to find another way to adhere to beauty standard that does not belong to you so you need to fall back in love with your hair and that means falling back on getting these braids mm. right so like for mm-hmm. me this is my challenge mm-hmm. i'm like don't get too comfortable yeah. with this idea of what's pretty and what's not pretty what's aesthetically pleasing or what's easy or what's hard because chances are it's not the truth you are inheriting this truth mm-hmm. because white supremacy around you is telling you that you're more attractive when you wear your hair all the way down your mm-hmm. back that it's telling you that you're yeah. more that you're more beautiful if you wear makeup, that you're not prepared to be on camera to do mm-hmm. a podcast that you know is going to be in yes. a space unless you're wearing makeup. And so I challenge myself mm-hmm. by saying, okay, if that's where you're going, then you can't do it. If that's what your first thought is, then you can't mm-hmm. have that right now. I need you to fall back in love with you. I haven't worn a bra mm-hmm. in years. 
years, like yeah. to, to please anybody. I mean, I did wear one for my, my bachelorette party, but that was because my shirt was see-through. And I was just like, you know what? I don't think I want my nipples <laughs> out here in these streets. So I wore equally see-through bra. But, but see that, aren't we? But then we also are sexualizing nipples. And that is also a part of the trifuckery. Yes. So it's like, I think it, 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 through our, through the conversation last night and through hearing your input, I feel like, again, it comes to like, because it is literally every fucking where, you are essentially picking and choosing intentionally, hopefully, where, how, and what you are and are not perpetuating. Because it's like, in some capacity, you're always going to be perpetuating some element of the trifuckery that like, it, it actually literally sounds the most exhausting experience ever to go through a day and not perpetuate a single element of the trifuckery. Every time I I think especially for folks, look at these books. This says capitalism. It says white ways of knowing, even though you see black faces, what we've been taught is that if it's in a book, then it must mean it must have value. Yes. What we've been taught is that uh, yeah. books cost money. So if you have the money to have, mm-hmm. I'm like, I have a Mac bag right here. <laughs> and I'm just like, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at it, right? And I'm just yeah. like, I have all these yeah. things that basically say perpetuating capitalism in some way, shape, or form. And mm-hmm. I'm like, for me, am I going to die best from yeah. buying books? Nope. That's not, that's not yeah. where my work yeah. is. That at least I'm not ready for my work to be in that space. And I'm just like, that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that I have not started to decolonize my library. It does not mean that I have not tried to diversify my my book reading experiences. It mm-hmm. means that the way that I'm doing it mm-hmm. looks a little bit different. I mean, I've got textbooks, yes, but yeah. the peop- the books that are font facing are also by Black authors. That was on purpose. Putting the bl- the books by Black mm-hmm. authors in this area was on purpose because I knew that my, my computer is here, which means people are going to see this, mm-hmm. and I want them to see work by um, Justin. I want them to see yeah. that little piece of work by um, Tyra Powers. Um, the Harry Potter books are just there. Mm-hmm. But, like, I want people to see this. Like, this yeah. is my father eating fire. Very Nigerian thing to mm-hmm. do, a fire mm-hmm. eater. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, mm-hmm. how can I use this to, but also smash something else at the same time? How can I yeah. use this and talk about yeah. something else at the same time? Because the fact is that mm-hmm. we all play into it in one shape, in one way or another. And it's yeah. how can we be more intentional about the ways that we've already purchased in and the ways that we try to get a Super. refund? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think too, that when you release yourself of the pressure to not perpetuate anything, you can more come to terms with how you can actually do that work to be anti the trifuckery. And I think, you know, there is so much shame associated with like you're perpetuating something, you're perpetuating harm in some way that that responsibility becomes solely on this individual person. And for most individual people, the amount of harm and actual like uh, intensity or uh, perceived experienced harm that happens is like, so incredibly fucking minimal compared to the amount of like shame that that person experiences that, you know, one of the examples we talked about last night was like, 
a woman wearing makeup, right? And like, if you are in a liberal circle and you are someone who was wanting to fight against the patriarchy, like, well, you're perpetuating if you wear makeup. And so therefore, if you're being out here wearing makeup, especially if you have a large platform, like you're actually sending all the wrong messages and like all the shame that can come with that as opposed to like, you know what? And it's not true. <laughs> yes. And, and it's not true, but it's like, yes, if we understand interdependence and we understand that we operate within community and that we want to support our communities, yes, we do individually have responsibility, but let's also remember that the harm, the perpetuation of the trifuckery, the consequences that come from these things are the responsibility ultimately of the systems and of us collectively. And the people so it is who more are in powerful. Power. With those systems. Yes. Yes. And to me, it is more powerful that we hold space in community, in relationship, in accountability to be able to fully unpack and do this in an intentional way so that that shifts the actual dynamic of power so that it helps shift the system collectively. Because in some ways, I was like, yeah, I do think when you show up wholly as yourself, like clients who are unpacking things like texturism and unpacking, uh, you know, hair and these things that impact their sex lives, when they can become more empowered in themselves, they are going to be more intentional in their lives, which then means they're going to show up in a different way within their community, within their family, which then means that that impact and just like domino effect outwards, as opposed to this like, you have to do everything absolutely perfectly. And if you don't, then you are totally on this other end of the spectrum and are just perpetuating all these things that it's like, there's got to be some middle space here for us to hold duality with said, the and. It's, it, I'm like, it's, it's the space of authenticity. If you are living your life in a way that brings you pleasure and joy yeah. and doesn't keep on the bullshit, then you're probably in the space that you mm-hmm. deserve and should be in. And that serves as a compass for other people to also live their lives authentically. That means that you don't, you don't Mm -hmm. mess with other people's lives just because you feel like you can. It means that you are supporting other people and being Mm -hmm. their authentic self and doing the thing that actually works for them, not the thing that works for you. If more of us encourage the other people in our lives to be themselves and to be themselves out loud, we would have a very different world than the one that we have now. Right now, we are in Mm -hmm. a power grab. We're trying to find ways to prove to other people that we are worthy human beings when we were already born that way. And instead of just being worthy and just going with it because you were already... You already started worthy. You get you can't end unworthy when you started worthy. So if you just be worthy and stay worthy, and there's nothing that you can do to be unworthy... If you just live in your own authenticity, mm-hmm. I'm just like, yo, and just don't harm yeah. others, right? Do unto others as they would like done mm-hmm. unto them. That is not the, that is not the yeah. saying. I know that the saying is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And I'm just like, that's bullshit. <laughs> it's bullshit because it centers yeah. you. I'm looking like you want to center yourself to someone else's mm-hmm. experience. That doesn't make any sense. So instead we're doing to other people mm-hmm. what they would like done to them. And to know that you have to ask. To know that it's how yeah. would you like me to treat you? How would you like me to engage mm-hmm. with you? And then do that. We don't ask because we don't want the responsibility yeah. of the work that needs to be done. But if we are living yes. authentically for ourselves, we tend not to then be upset with other people who are living authentically for themselves and then try to yes. shame them for it. 
So if I live mm-hmm. authentically and you live authentically, then mm-hmm. that means that we get to mind our damn business and live our authentic ass lives. If there's mm-hmm. a problem that I have, I don't call people out. I call them in. I'm looking like, come over here. Let me ask you something real quick. Lead with questions. I like to mm-hmm. lead with curiosity. I'm just like, I'm curious as to know why you decided X, Y, and Z. I'm looking like, does the same space necessarily hold true for celebrities? I don't know. I've never been able to figure that out. I feel like there's a there's yeah. something else in that space. But I'm just like, live authentically for you. And if it feels good for you, mm-hmm. go for it. Especially if it doesn't harm others. Yeah. If it only feels good yeah, for that's, you, and it that's exactly what I said. Others, that's probably a problem. And mm, yes, like, yes, yes, totally. That, that's exactly what I said. Example, maybe yeah. don't do that. That's. That's no, that's no. And that's where I was saying last night, I was like, you know, yeah, I do think like if you are doing something and it feels good for you and you are doing it from an authentic, intentional place of perspective, and it perhaps also happens to potentially perpetuate something of the trifuckery, but doesn't cause anyone any direct harm. I think, I think that's okay. Especially if you are someone who is systematically oppressed from the trifuckery, from the exact thing that you are are perpetuating, in some ways you are taking ownership and you are taking power back over that by doing it in an intentional way with perspective that is like probably slightly different than you just defaulting and maintaining that conditioning. And I think it is sticky because you cannot always tell that. And, and, and that is also because not everybody belongs to you and you don't belong to everybody. So you ain't always going to know other people's business. So sometimes, yeah, we should just let folks do whatever the fuck that they're doing if it's making them feel good and it isn't actually causing any direct harm to anybody. And I could keep going on a whole rant about this. I want to be respectful of your time. You got shit to do. You got a wedding to plan. You got work to do. Um, (laughs) This has been so fantastic. And before we wrap up, I really want you to have an opportunity to share. We didn't get to talk about your book a lot, but I definitely want you to share about your book and about the places people can follow you so they can get some more of this fantastic. Well, my book is in the background, but here it is in the foreground. Cocoa butter and hair grease. A self-love journey through hair and skin. It's a 12-week workbook to help people unpack deconstruct and hopefully get the mm-hmm. space where by the end they are loving on their own skin tone and their own hair texture um and mm-hmm. with that there is a group coming up called curl talk conversations understanding relationships love and sex it's gonna be october um so like after this whole wedding business october um mm-hmm. 8th is when i'm doing it and mm-hmm. um the tickets are currently on sale and you get a copy you get a digital copy of cocoa butter and hair grease. Mm. So, um, and it's better mm-hmm. than the digital copy available on Amazon because this copy is a PDF fillable document. Ooh. So, oh, yeah. And where can people go to purchase the tickets? The for tickets this? can be purchased on my Instagram um, at Anod Wright, A N N O D, that's my first name backwards, R I G H T, or on Dr. Donna Oreo, well, also on Instagram. Yeah, I've got like Instagram, Instagram stuff going. Um, and if you're in the DMV and you are looking for a really dope ass therapist, I got a team of dope ass therapists. So come on yeah. over. Come on over. 
it sounds like it. You're a dope ass therapist. And I, I am so glad that we finally got to connect. So thank you so, so much for coming on. This was fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. All right. That does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for making it all the way through and keeping your ears, your hearts, and your minds open. It would mean so much to me if you could take a second or two after listening to this episode to leave a review on iTunes and let me know what you're enjoying about the show. I love reading you know, what your favorite episodes are, where you guys listen, um, and definitely feel free to share this with a friend. I mean, part of how we break down the stigmas around these topics is by talking about them, right? And, and sharing them with more people. So definitely share the podcast. Um, and again, really wanting to include all of you in this podcast. So if you have questions or you want to share a thought or an experience, please send in a voice memo to ask.letstalkaboutit at gmail.com. And I'm really excited to keep having these conversations and uh, breaking down these stigmas. So thank you all so, so, so much. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and I'll talk to you next time. Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity.